my soul inside exile. Mm. I'm supposed to preach after that. I tell you. Good gracious. Mm. Well, where, where's Jeremy at? Is Jeremy here today? Where's he at? Where are you at, Jeremy? Just, I, I, I think I may be up for a rehash. I, uh, I got in a wash nest of guinea wash Friday, and I learned some new steps. <laughs> I, I believe I could take you today. <laughs> All right, turn if you would, if you would, to Romans chapter 5. One of the names I missed this morning on our prayer list with Brother Ronnie Jones. He's here, and he's still fighting with shingles, though, so continue to pray for him. Romans chapter 5, as we think this morning about standing on the solid rock. Heard about a, a little boy had a horse, and the horse really was just an old oat-burning nag. He decrepit, swayed back, wasn't much of a horse, sort of a flea-bitten horse, and man was making fun of the little boy and his horse. And uh, the boy loved the horse. They'd been pals for a long time. And man was kind of ridiculing the little boy and having some fun. He said, son, is that horse any good? He said, yes, that horse is good. He said, well, uh, he doesn't look so good. Can he run fast? He said, no, no, sir. But he can stand fast. <laughs> That's what we need today in our churches and in our world today. We don't need folk who can run fast. We need some folks who will stand fast and stand on the solid rock. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Father, would you just, uh, Lord, add your blessing this morning to the reading of your word. God, would you speak in a loud, audible voice? Those who are closest to destruction, those who have missed your kingdom and don't know you as a personal Savior, Lord, would you sound the battle cry? And God, would the Holy Spirit come in freedom this morning to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And for those who are saved in this place, oh God, restore our joy and our hope. We may leave this place saying, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. We love you, ask you to do great things. We're expecting them. We're thanking you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Just so you can be seated. I want to speak just for a few moments on having faith that will stand fast, an anchor that will grip the solid rock. Many Christians today are blown away by the winds of circumstances and they're being scattered by the storms of calamity swept away in the floods of affliction and they don't have an anchor 
And it's to the contrary, their lives are like jello and eggshells when all along God wants us to live a victorious life. He wants us to be strong. He doesn't want us to fold up and give in. He wants us to look up and stand up. And so what we need is a foundation. There's no better foundation in the Word of God than the book of Romans. A tremendous, it's like a crash course. Now remember, as they're reading this book, that they don't have chapter by chapter. They come to a meeting like today, and they start Romans 1-1, and they go all the way on through it because this is Paul's letter to them. Now, we're not going to do that this morning. We're just going to cover five verses, but I want to tell you the main thing we need to understand is when God gives us salvation, he's not through with us. He's not through with us. He wants us to continually be growing in the grace and knowledge. Philippians 1, 6 says, He who hath begun a good work in you will perform it. So getting saved does not mean uh, that we're the finished product because God's not through with us yet. And our scripture tells us that. Now, when God saves you, what does God give you as the byproduct of that salvation? Is it peace or is it tribulation? The answer is yes. He gives you peace and he gives you tribulation. It's right here in the word of God. Verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Look at verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. So don't think when you get saved, well, man, everything's going to be peace. Everything's going to be great. I don't have any more problems now because I've been saved. Well, ultimately you don't, but I tell you on the way up there, you got a lot. And, and we'll look at that. Let me just give you four points here quickly this morning. Number one, conversion brings conflict. When you get saved, it's going to bring conflict. Don't, don't think everything. Listen. The world is not going to, they may do it cynically, but they're not going to congratulate you for following Jesus as your Savior. You know why? Because the uh, carnal man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. They don't have it within themselves to understand it. Now, I, 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 I better get off of that. Let me just go on here. We're, we're justified by faith is what he's saying in verse 1 and 2. He's talking about peace with God. He's talking about access of faith. But, and we, hallelujah, we love that. But you go down to verse 3, we glory in tribulation. The word glory there in the Greek means pressure. There's pressure on us. He's translated here tribulation, but it's used when you crush grapes to get wine. It's being crushed. It's being uh, uh, literally uh, uh, pressured us to it. Uh, maybe when you crush olives to get oil. And God wants to build in us the character, the wine and the oil of his strength and his love. And he's going to bring pressure into our lives to get us to that place where we're part of that. See, it, it's, not, it's not going to be enough for you just to say, well, I'm saved, now I'm going to sit and be satisfied. Because God doesn't want that. God wants you to grow in the grace and nurture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thomas Watson said this, where reason cannot wade, their faith must swim. Mm. We're trying to reason too many things out today. And where reason cannot uh, wade, that's when we need to, by faith, just swim right on out. This conflict and this pressure may come from Satan, may come from God. But God's over it all. He'll, Satan will bring you conflict to cause you to stumble. 
He'll bring you, uh, God will bring you conflict to cause you to stand. That's the difference between Satan and between God. Now, there's three places this conflict's going to come from. Number one, it's going to come from the world. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, be not conformed to this world. You want to know why we're not facing more problems now as Christians? Because we're so conformed to the world that the world can't tell we're Christians. I used to be able to say that 30 years ago when I was preaching. We used to talk about the world outside. Now we're talking about the world inside the church. Can't tell the difference. The business world, the social world, political world. There's un, un, uh, incredible pressure on the child of God from the world. But not only is the pressure going to come from the world, it's going to come from the flesh. Now, I, now God knows my heart. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Aren't you thankful? God knows your heart. I think that's why we can have a good time sometimes, because God really knows our heart. And I'm not telling God what to do. Don't misunderstand me. But wouldn't it have been nice if when we got saved, God took that old nature and just threw it away? Wouldn't that have been nice? But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. We still got to deal with that old nature. We still got to deal with the flesh. We've got the new nature, but we've also got the old nature. Man, I can tell you, I, I remember back when I got saved and through teenage years, you know, I, I'd be around kids in high school. It's going to happen. It's going to be normal. Uh, and they'd say, well, let's go do this. And I'd know in my heart, that's not right. Now, there were two reasons that I probably backed out. Number one, I, I really was. I loved God, and I wanted to please him. But I was also scared my daddy would beat the living daylights out of him if he ever found out about some of it, too. So some of y'all have already shortchanged one of those. You've got to depend on God. Uh, but, but we had it both ways. When you come to salvation, you're going to be finding out that the world is going to squeeze you. They're going to try to work on you. And you'll find out there's, uh, it rises up. The Bible says in Galatians 5:17, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. In other words, don't you think that everything's going to be running smooth on your insides because you got the flesh in there and you got the spirit in there. And they're contrary, the Bible says, to one another. So you got pressure coming from the world, you got pressure coming from the flesh, and then you got conflict with the devil himself. I mean, the devil himself is going to rag you. Hey, listen, you never really understand the power of the devil until you get saved. <laughs> you, 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 until you get saved. You say, well, I don't have any difficulty with the devil. Well, let me tell you why. It's probably because you're going on the same road he's on. Dr. Adrian Rogers tells about a man that was owned a big farm, and he had a farmhand that worked for him. And the man was not a believer. The farmhand was. And, but the two of them were good friends, and they liked to hunt ducks. I've been duck hunting one time. That's all it took for me. I, I, I have no interest. Now, if you want to bring me a, a duck that's already cleaned, I'll make a gumbo. They make one of the best gumbos there are. But don't expect me to go out there and wade in that cold water shooting no duck. Ain't going to happen. But they're out there enjoying life. Uh, and... Uh, the man who wasn't a believer, he looked over at the farmhand and he said, you know, you, you always talking about fighting with the devil and you always talking about wrestling with the devil. He said, I never have to fight with the devil. I don't have to wrestle with the devil. I'm not even a Christian. 
And the farmhand looked at him and said, Boss, if you shot two ducks and one of them was floundering around and one of them was dead, which one would you go after? He said, well, I guess I'd go with the one that was alive. He said, you the dead duck. That's why the devil don't fool with you. You're a dead duck. He'll go after you. start stirring up something for Jesus, and that devil will rise up now. You better get ready for him. He's coming. Uh, if the devil doesn't bother you, it's probably because you're a dead duck. He, he, here comes the world. Here comes the flesh. Here comes the devil. And the Bible calls that tribulation, pressure. But not only will it come from Satan to cause you to stumble, it'll come from God to cause you to stand. Mm. Boy, every child of God, God's not only trying to make you happy, God wants to make you holy. It's easy to be happy. Most of us, you give us a piece of chocolate cake and we're happy. Amen. But I'm telling you, God's more interested in your holiness than he is your happiness. He'll love both of them and he'll do both of them. But I'm telling you, holiness is what God is all about there. And so I'm often amused and amazed at the way we equate Christianity with success. You know, every, everybody, they look at a church like this that's growing and say, Woo, successful successful no let me tell you this little one horse church out here that's got 15 that had one saved this last week they're successful Amen. don't you start talking about success in the Christian in, in order to be successful in the Christian life all you have to do is be obedient if you're obedient and doing what God tells you to do you're a success if you're not you're a failure I don't care how much prosperity you have. I don't care how many houses or how popular you are or what success. But we, we use the same thing the world does. That's what the world does. The world says the more people you have under you, the more successful you are. But Jesus said, I came to serve. The more people I got over me, the more successful I am in the kingdom of God. You said, preacher, that don't make sense. That's because you're looking at it in a carnal mind. God's looking on the heart. So conversion brings on conflict or tribulation or pressure. Now then, this is a ladder now. We climb that next rung. Don't, don't try to skip a rung. You'll kill yourself. You've got to take it one rung at a time. The next rung is this. The conflict teaches us consistency. He said, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now, what is patience? To some of you in this room, patience is being able to thread a piece of thread through a needle. To me, that's tribulation. <laughs> to some of you here, the ability to finish a crossword puzzle is patience. Mm, I don't have that. I don't have that. The word patience here in the Greek means constant or consistency you see when the pressure comes and the crisis comes it doesn't make you now listen don't miss this that when the pressure comes and the crisis comes that doesn't make you that just reveals who you are you're already made before that comes that just reveals who you are the same sun that melts the ice is the same sun that hardens the clay. The 
The word patience, again, means endurance or consistency. If you got a New American Standard, it's saying, it says brings about perseverance. Uh, Goodspeed says it produces endurance. Man, everybody in this room today, if I say, would you like to have strength? Oh, yeah, I want strength. How about victory? Oh, yeah, I want victory. How about prosperity? Yes, we'd love prosperity. Well, how about contentment? I love contentment. When I listen, everybody wants those, but you'll never have those until you get patience, first of all. I better back up and say that again because you didn't hear that. You're not going to have victory. You're not going to have contentment. You're not going to have strength. You're not going to have prosperity until, first of all, you have patience, which comes from conflict that is produced by conversion and then conflict, and then it brings about patience. Now, you can respond to, to this uh, one of four ways when conflict comes. Blackaby calls it the moment of crisis. Call it conflict, whatever you want to call it. But you can respond one of four ways. The first way you can respond is just run away. <laughs> I mean, whether it's emotionally or whether it's physically, just run away from it. Uh, a lot of people run away. They take a pill. They turn up a bottle. They take a needle. They take a gun. And they try to run from conflict. I, I thought this was very interesting. One man said the way to fight a woman is with your hat. And they said, what do you mean with your hat? He said, grab it and run. That's how you fight a woman. Now, that's really a compliment to you ladies. You'll figure that out sooner or later. You may not. Second, <laughs> second way. <laughs> second way you do this, when conflict comes, a lot of people just resent it. They resent it. Mm. I, mean, I got saved. I started going to Sunday school. I started tithing, and look at what's happened to me. Lord, I've done all this stuff you wanted me to do. Now look what's happened to me. And they just, they don't retreat. They just resent. Can I use one illustration, baby? Just one. <laughs> I've used it before, so they already know it. My wife, now I know you other women, well, you're just like my wife. I can tell you that. We'll be driving down the road. She'll say, you want a Coke or a cup of coffee? No. And then when I pass the gas station, she'll say, I thought we was going to stop. I said, nobody said anything about stopping. Can I get a witness? Some of you men here got guts enough to raise your hand and say, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But now when she doesn't get her way, this is what my wife does. And I love it. I really do. I really love it. She crosses her leg. And she looks out the side window. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? <laughs> She's so sweet. I mean, it makes me want to just wrap her up, you know, and encourage her more. So you can, <laughs> you, can <laughs> you can retreat, you can resent, and then others just resign. They just give in. When problems come, they just say, hey, I'm out of here. I'm through. I don't want to do it. I don't, I, they give up. They lie down on their field and surrender. But that's not God's plan. God's plan for you is not to retreat, not to resent, not to resign. His plan for you is to resolve by faith that you're going to follow Him. That's what His plan is. I wrote this down. This is not original. I just can't remember who said it. 
but I like it. Faith is not receiving the things you want nearly so much as it is accepting from God the things he gives. Oh, I mean, that's just re- That's one of them Clark Sexton sayings right there. It may have been from him. <laughs> Tribulation works patience. Don't try to wiggle out of what God. You remember what Job said? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Winston Churchill, great man, soldier, prime minister of England, never, 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 never give up. He had a bull, bulldog nose, which is slanted, so he could keep breathing while he was yanking and going. Never give up. So conversion brings conflict. Conflict teaches us consistency. And then consistency develops the character. Look at verse 4. The Bible says in verse 4, patience, experience, and experience, hope. Now what does he mean experience? I looked it up last night. It's translated uh, character. You may be Uh, Your translation that you've got may say character, patience, consistency, bringing character, and God wants to build in you in that character. You see, reputation is what others think about you. Character is what God and your wife knows about you. Mm. God's going to put you in the fire of affliction to test you because a faith that's not tested can't be trusted. You say, well, I don't want a God like that. Well, he's doing it for your own good. He's doing it for my own good. So God's going to put us in the fire to test us, and that's the way we're going to learn how much junk we've got in our lives, how much dross there is, the sludge. If we'll be honest with one another this morning, the time that we have grown the most in our spiritual life is when we were up against the wall. It's not been when everything was great, everything was smooth, but boy, when when we're up against the wall, when we're trying to deal with something that we cannot figure out, suddenly God comes through and that faith is increased. Somebody wrote these lines, I walked a mile with pleasure, she chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, not a word, said she. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Well, we learn those things when we're going through the fire. God wants to build character in your life. Young people, God wants to mold you and make you in the image of Jesus Christ. There's some things you can do that we old people can't do. I can't think of very many of them, but... There, you know, one thing you can do that we can't do anymore is you can put your socks on standing up. We've done learn not to even try that, amen? God builds character, and it continually is to grow. I just thought of three instances, and I, I don't want this to. I just want to drive home this point. A widow comes and shares her heart. Her husband's died suddenly, a massive heart attack. These are true stories. Her children have grown up. They live in distant cities. And this widow comes home from work at night. She arrives at home. She begins to fix dinner. She sets the table. She gets out the plates for two, placemats for two, utensils, the knives, the forks, the spoons for two. She sets the table, cooks a meal, sits down, looks across the table, 
and realizes that what she's done out of habit year after year, there won't be two tonight. There'll only be one. And then you read Romans 5, we rejoice in our suffering. And they say, Pastor, what does that mean? What does that mean? All I know is we've just got to hold on to Jesus. I officiated a dedication service for a little baby, seven months old. We sang. The only thing different about it, we cried, we prayed, we had dedication. The only thing different about it, it was in a hospital room and, and not a worship center. Very first day of this little boy's birth, he, he'd been critically ill. A few days later, I do another service for his burial. And his mom and daddy comes and they say, Preacher, what does this mean? We rejoice. We rejoice in sufferings. I got a, a letter that came actually came through our children's church from a nine-year-old she said I remember it was near my birthday dad said at lunch that he was leaving us I tried to say no dad don't go don't go but I couldn't get my voice up my life sort of changed at that point like I used to always be happy but ever since then I've been sad See, guys, God doesn't take away evil. What God does is transform us. The evil is still there. The evil is going to be there because of the curse of Adam and Eve on this earth. There will come a day when there won't be any evil. And I'll tell you, we ought to be shouting knowing that we're going to get there on that day. But God's method is not, look, hey, he didn't stop the crucifixion. He made Easter. He's not going to stop all of your tribulations and all, but he's going to use them to mold you and make you into the Christian young man or young woman that he wants you to be. See, we're used to substitution. <laughs> when we pray, we say, Lord, give us health instead of sickness. Lord, give us wealth instead of poverty. Lord, give us friendship rather than loneliness. We want God to substitute things, but God's not in the substitution business. He's in the transformation business. He'll take your life and turn it around. That's the reason Job said, He knoweth the way that I should take. And when he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Somebody was talking to a businessman. They said, how do you become a success in business? The man said, good decisions. He said, well, that's great. Where do you, where do you learn how to make good decisions? He said, experience. He said, well, that's great. How do you get experience? He said, bad decisions. <laughs> That's literally how you experience and you consistently continue to grow. <clears throat> God's going to build your character if you just hold on and stay in the fire. Most of us spend our time trying to get out of the fire. When the real truth, if we just say, Lord, what do you want to do with me in this fire? We'd end up being much, much better off. Conversion brings conflict. Conflict brings consistency. Consistency builds character. And then last, character gives confidence. He gives confidence. Huh. Look at verse 5. And hope 
maketh, well, verse 4, patience, experience, experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. Wow. That, that blessed hope, that word hope there doesn't mean like we use hope. I hope it's a little cooler today. I hope I get something for dinner today. I hope I'm feeling good tonight. I, I, you know, that's how we use the word hope. This word here, blessed hope, it's a done deal. It's truth. When we have conversion that brings conflict and conflict that brings consistency and consistency that brings character and character brings confidence in the blessed hope that Jesus Christ was born, died, resurrected, and coming back again for us. That's our blessed hope today. Hmm. That's in the future tense. Somebody said hope is faith in the future tense. I like that. Look. Patience, experience, experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. What does that mean, maketh not ashamed? It means it'll never disappoint you. Never disappoint you. There's, I, let me just speak for myself. There's never been a time in my life when the Lord has disappointed me. Been some times when I didn't agree with him. Let me tell you who won. You better learn a lesson real quick that he's got the necessary resources to get your attention. And he will do it. Now, if you're not saved, you're a dead duck. You're, you're on your own. But if you're saved, let me tell you something. Our Lord will chastise you. He'll ring your bell. There was a little Salvation Army girl who had been witnessing to a family in a poor neighborhood. There's some people that lived upstairs in a little tenement apartment there, and the father was an atheist, a vowed atheist, a philosophical atheist. And the little girl who worked for the Salvation Army had constantly been trying to go over and, and win these people and talk with them, witness to them, show love, show acts of kindness, and just continually uh, got shut down every time. But the son in that family grew ill, critically ill. They didn't have enough money to put him in the hospital or help him. He was dying at home. The little girl went back one more time, if I could just go one more time, to see maybe if I could tell him about Jesus. And uh, she got there to the door, and she heard what was going on inside. The little boy said, Daddy, am I going to die? And the father said, Son, you, you'll die, but don't worry about it. After you die, it'll be all over. You won't feel anything. You won't know anything. You will have forgotten the pain and the sorrow. So don't worry about it, son. I love you, son, and just hold on, son. Just hold on. After a while, it'll be over. The father said, the son said, but father, I'm afraid. I don't want to die. Father, I need some help. And the father said, son, my son, I love you. If you'll just hold on. And that little Salvation Army girl heard that last sentence. The boy pathetically said, Daddy, you're telling me to hold on, but there's nothing to hold on to. Okay, if you're here without Jesus Christ this morning, let me give you some news. There's nothing for you to hold on to. And I can just tell you, when we start this invitation, if God is speaking to your heart, and I've got to be honest and tell you, if the Holy Spirit's not speaking to you, you can come down this aisle 1,500 times. It won't make any difference. But if there's a tug at your heart today, 
I'm telling you, Jesus is calling you. He wants to give you a blessed hope. You'll never lose it. It'll never be gone from you. I'm so thankful for the hope that God gives us and for every child of God that's here that knows the Lord Jesus Christ. Could we not just let it sink through our head that our friends, our family, our children, our grandchildren, our grandpa and grandma, if they die without Jesus Christ, they go to hell. They go to hell. That ought to charge some of us up to at least. I'm not talking about going to Africa. I'm not talking about going to Haiti. I'm not talking about going anywhere. I'm talking about putting some of the people on your speed dial that you've got already on your speed dial that you've never once shared Jesus with. I believe we'd see a great awakening if just those of us who know the Lord would say, Lord, would you loose my tongue? Would you let me talk about you? I don't care if it's embarrassing to me or whatever. Lord, I just want to talk about you. I want to glorify you. I believe with all my heart we'd see revival and awakening come on all over this place. Would you bow your head with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Charles, mm, 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 mm. that was me. I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to come to you. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to come to you. All I want to do is pray for you. If you'll say, that was me, and I need to be saved, would you just slip up your hand where you are right now? Just slip it up anywhere. Okay. Anyone else? If you're here this morning, maybe God's speaking to your heart. And you're saying, Preacher, I don't have to go down to the altar to do that. I can just do it in my seat. And you can. You really can. But could I just tell you, child of God, there are people watching you. Some of you leaders in this church, some of you Sunday school teachers, some of you deacons, some of you in the choir and, and hold leadership places in this church. And there are people that are watching you to see what you're going to do during the invitation. Maybe you ought to be the one to come and just kneel and say, Lord, I've not witnessed like I should, but I want you to help me to loose my tongue and tell folks about Jesus. Father, we thank you for the joy to be in this place today. Thank you as a child of the King that, Lord, you have promised to not only help us through this world, but you promised to come again for us and take us to another whole new world. And I pray today for those that lifted their hands. I pray for those that may not have lifted them, that didn't want to lift their hands, Lord, for whatever reason. But I pray right now your Holy Spirit would fall fresh on this place that, God, you would speak to their hearts right now. And before it's eternally too late, God, they would say, yes, I want to be saved. I want to surrender. I want to repent of my sin and give my all to Jesus Christ. Lord, let that happen. Folks need a church home. I pray if this is where you want them, God, open the door and let them come. Lord, whatever needs to happen in this invitation, this is your time. We praise you. 
in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? As they begin to sing, you come. These altars are open. Come on.